Welcome to Awakening the Body, conversations around sexuality, psychedelics, trauma, shame, acceptance, and loving self-kindness. How can we bravely co-create safe enough spaces for our erotic and ecstatic selves to emerge and flourish, opening up to radical self-love for our weird, wonderful, and full beingness? I'm your host, Rachel Charlie. Somatic sex educator living in Jojoge, Montreal, on the unceded indigenous lands of the Gonyongohoke Mohawk Nation. This fourth episode is a conversation with Kaf and Jesse around erotic friendship, ritual, and psychedelics, and learning from the living world both around us and within us how to age and how to die, and even how to cultivate a relationship with death. Kaf and Jesse is a queer elder, sacred intimate, teacher and writer who revels in the power and pleasures of the erotic. They are a renowned teacher of sex, intimacy and healing trauma with pleasure, encouraging neuroplastic change to support sexual healing and expanded pleasure, unwinding sexual trauma, exploring the intersection of sex and spirit, creating erotic community are all core to their work and play. Caffin is a tireless advocate of embodied love. Caffin offers an intimacy-educated teaching and an online program on the art and science of sacred intimacy. They host regular office hours where you can meet, connect, and ask questions. They also offer a program on psychedelic medicine integration. Caffin's books include Love and Death in a Queer Universe, Elements of Intimacy, Sensual Man, Science for Sexual Happiness, Intimacy Educator, Teaching with Touch, Elements of Intimacy, and Pelvic Pain Clinic. Caffin taught for many years in the sexological bodywork and somatic sex education professional trainings, as well as offering their training for intimacy educators, occasional workshops on topics ranging from pelvic pain to sex in long-term relationships, and a trauma training for professionals who touch. Links to Caffin's website, their books, and work are in the show notes, so check them out. I hope that you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and thank you for listening. If you are interested in financially supporting this podcast, you can find a link to buy me a coffee on the show notes. Thank you so much. for coming onto the podcast with me. Such an, an honour and a pleasure, Rachel. Just, yeah, I love talking to you. Hmm. Thanks. And I was thinking about talking about the ways that I know you and primarily I know you from your work at the Institute for the Studies in Somatic Sex Education at which you were a co-founder and I was exposed to your learnings and wisdom through that training yeah and the videos and reading some of your books to start with through there and since then having read a lot more of your books it's quite a body of work that you have actually there's the most recent one love and death in a queer universe um, which i recently read and i have things i want to ask about that elements of intimacy 
Sensual Man, which I reread recently, and it's really practical information for what I think of as a very, I, I don't know how to describe it. it, it's just like basic sexuality in an intimate, loving way for yourself and exploratory, like really that. Yeah, I remembered reading it and thinking this is really simple and in its simplicity, it's really quite big. Yeah, that's fun you mentioned that. That's a free download on my website and uh, probably the first thing I ever wrote in this field, but then I recently revised it. And uh, I thought, well, there's still a lot of good in this. And to me, like, I don't know if you found this, Rachel, but like working with men in this way and, and like helping them experience their sexuality and express their sexuality in, in a whole way and, and uh, you know, love their softness, love them, you know, listen to their partners, like love their uh, erotic energy instead of having to hurry up and get rid of it one way or another. And uh, it, it really changes, you know, relationships, like social relationships at some kind of profound level. Yeah, you found that too? Yeah, yeah. And that's actually what I loved so much about reading that book not so long ago is having found that and also like struggling with how do I work with these men and how do I work in a way that they want to be met in and benefits them in their actual lives. And when I read that, I was just like, oh, gosh, this is exactly it. And it's so simply and directly put. I think I read the first version of it before I started doing this work. And I remembered enjoying it and thinking of the simplicity of it. But it's only because of working with men, it's like, yes, to the simplicity. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I never thought I'd work with men because, you know, like I'm an old lesbian and, you know, that I would have to pay the rent. And I just reached out to, like, whoever was drawn to come to my practice when I mm. first set up uh, working in the field of sacred intimacy. And, and, you know, men would come. And I found that with these tools and understandings, I could work, like, so joyfully with all genders and all ways of exploring and expressing sexuality can be welcomed and, and uh, mm. celebrated, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it, it does. It, it actually allows me to work with cis men in a really joyful way too, having those tools. And the, a lot of those tools were taught in the somatic sex education training as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's just a it's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. I have recommended it to so many men. I hope they have read it because it's it's just so fun. It's great. Yeah. yeah. My favorite part of it, there's a video of you showing different strokes on a penis and you're wearing a penis. And I just I just remember the first time I saw that video, I was just like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> this is the best penis touching I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and it was you. It was, I loved it. I just thought, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, Science for Sexual Happiness as well was another one. Intimacy Educator Teaching with Touch, Elements of Intimacy and Pelvic Pain Clinic. There was also Erotic Massage for Healing and Pleasure too. Yeah, that's been republished as the Intimacy Educator Teaching oh. with Touch. So 
yeah, that's still available under that new yep. new title. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is quite quite a lot of writing and you're also teaching sacred intimacy and you've put that into an online training now that's pretty accessible in terms of pricing as well. Yeah, I, I've been really happy. I've just got that out there in the world a month ago or so. Kind of took my signature program that I had developed and, and taught over the years and uh, and tried to translate it into the online environment so people can do it, you know, with friends or partners or on their own or working with a professional or hopefully working as a professional. Um, different ways to engage with the course. Yeah, it kind of takes you through uh, the different things I wished I knew when I started out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, all your basic, um, you know, ranging from initial meeting someone and doing an intake to having a full-on erotic ritual and then time for harvest and integration, which is kind of like the basic structure of every session, but also a series of sessions. And so I've tried to, yeah, create a program so far. People seem to like it, so, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to talk about your most recent book as well. But before we do, there's another way that I've known you and it's kind of been more I've known of you since your retirement at the Institute for Studies in Somatic and Sex Education and that is you have a program that you had called Ecstatic Belonging around psychedelics and ritual and bringing them into your life. Yeah, that's something that's been part of my personal life all these years where I've kind of, um, with friends, uh, woven some of the approaches and practices from the world of sacred intimacy with the use of psychedelic medicines. And so it's been such a beautiful weaving in my own life. I thought, oh, I want to share this, mm -hmm. but not in the way of being a teacher, but more as like, a, like, here's what I do, so see if it works for you or, or share what you did like to do instead. Yeah. A reach for companionship, I call it, and, and friendship and lovership rather than any, uh, being a teacher, which I, you know, I do feel like I have some qualification to teach in the, in the realm of sex education and sacred intimacy, but in the psychedelic medicine world, it's just, yeah. I'm uh, sharing how I play and how I learn. And, you know, I feel like I've evolved a way of life with these practices that really feels resourcing and joyful. So I have shared it last year in an online program. This year I'm going to have a book which people can access. I felt like the online program was a bit too much. It didn't quite work the way I had structured it. So anyway, it's just going to be a book for $19 or something. So if people are interested, they can check mm -hmm. that out. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So about the psychedelics, I have a few, few questions around that. One of the things I loved about the ecstatic belonging is that you are sharing your experiences and they are from over many years. And I often think of some of the use of psychedelics as being really for all of us if we want, right? It's something that we can share wisdom on. It's something that can be a part of people's lives if they find a place for it. 
and having people that share the places they've found for it or rituals around it can be really supportive of finding ways to integrate the different whatever substance it is into your life and also the things that come with that. Yeah, can, can you say more like with an example from your own life? Um, you know, yeah, I, I found as a general thing in my own life that I think the first time I had a psychedelic in my life, I was 19 years old and that was MDMA. And I was living in a house of people that I, I loved a lot of them. They were good friends. And I remember having the MDMA, I think I only had it about three times in my early life, but I remember the first time. And I remember feeling really open, feeling actually love. I'm not sure I knew what love felt like before that. I'm not sure what it felt like to trust people with touch or with my body. And I remember having the first kind of threesome in my life with two people that I really loved and waking up in both of their arms. And I don't think without the MDMA that that would have happened because I just couldn't have let that in. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, this feels like the way I want to live. I'm not sure that that's the way these two people want to live, but this waking up in the arms of a person or people, right, just felt so natural to me in that moment. And then I remember catching public transport and sitting on a tram and there were all these people on the tram and I loved them all. And I had never felt that. I had at school heard about Jesus loving everybody. And I'm like, okay, I don't really know what that is. I don't really believe it. I don't know what it is. And I don't like this religion thing anyway. So I'm just going to throw it all away. But in that moment, I thought, oh, when I get the loving everybody now, I didn't know that was possible. So that was like my very first experience. I don't think my life would have been as good as it has been without that. So it, it like it created a portal, like you could walk through. And keep, yeah, this is what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I, I find that too. Mm. Yeah, with the the medicine path, like you just like yeah keeps opening a door, of like oh here, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And more lately, it's been like oh planet, oh other things, oh different elements. Well, it kind of leads on into your book. Uh, love and Death yeah, in the yeah. Queer Universe book. <laughs> yes. yes. It leads uh, on to that. So I'm just, I'm thinking about that book because I read it recently and I was kind of like swimming in it. And I find that about some of your writings, I tend to, the first time I read it, I swim in it and I miss a lot, but I'm swimming in it. And then the next time I read it, it's like, did I really read this book? And, oh, these ideas that I thought were mine actually came from this book. It's kind of the way of swimming. And I loved bringing the attachment styles into the elements. I'm wondering where that idea came from. Well, it came from the way that we do our medicine journeys, actually, with my friends that we try to welcome our unwanted parts and not... uh, you know, like, here's how you fix or get over some bad part of you. But 
here, bring that, that part of you that you've tried so hard to get rid of that keeps persisting, bring it here and like, let it be loved, let it be touched, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of our approach in one of the rituals that I, I do regularly with friends. And then we started to think, well, what's this attachment style language? It's just so pejorative, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like there's this secure attachment, then all these varieties of insecure attachment. It's like there's like, oh, here's how you, you want to fix and get fixed and be this yeah. paragon of virtue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, rather than like really welcome the gifts and the meanings and messages and, and superpowers of you know, having an anxious attachment style or, mm-hmm. or an avoidant you know, attachment style. And as I deepened into the poetry of, as I was writing that book, I was really feeling like connected with the, the poetry of molecules and stardust and the biosphere and, and all these like emergent properties of things at different levels. I got relating the attachment styles to the different elements of earth, air, fire and water and and it uh, just seemed to be so, so right. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things I really enjoyed about your teaching is really simply not pathologizing yeah. different attachment styles. Yeah. And, you know, in sex education, like everyone that comes to your studio, they have this list of pathologies that they want to get healed and fixed. Mm. And, you know, when you look at the DSM, it's got so many pathologies. We've all got at least five or six. And, um, you know, people just feel like so broken and unwell in their sexuality. And so I always say, well, it's good. We have so many pathologies to get people in. (laughs) But once they get there, (laughs) you make sure that they come to an environment of welcome. It's just like, oh, what's this part of you that you're calling you know, premature ejaculation or vulvodynia. Mm-hmm. What, what's it having to say? How is that your body speaking to you, protecting mm-hmm. you, like like expressing your longing and uh, what's it manifesting in your life? And, and just really giving it some love. It's like, yeah, you don't have to be any one way. Just how are you? Mm-hmm. The whole thing about the book like creation and dissolution stories. It felt quite like a story of how, not how things are, but it was like a dream, dreaming story of what are we, what are all the things around us? And a kind of, um, it's like I remember growing up and I remember for, for me that I was told that there was no magic in anything. A tree was there to be used for its fruit or to be cut down. It had no feelings. It had no life beyond its use. The earth had no life beyond its plain use. Therefore, people have nothing beyond their plain use. And and this is the thing about psychedelics too. It's this re-inviting in relationship with everything. And the consciousness of everything, like mm-hmm. how, how does that I mean, when you just start looking at it, it's like, oh, actually, this is a universe of awareness at every level. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's awareness and consciousness and individuality and, mm-hmm. like, the uniqueness of each consciousness of every tree and plant and mm-hmm. microorganism and, and mm-hmm. each human. Mm-hmm. And that's what 
creates the universe really it's you know at the, the quantum physical level mm. it's that awareness of each one of us mm. And I'm curious about that because that was my childhood. I remember this one moment where I understood the the teaching that I had from everything around me that nothing mattered, that there was no life in everything and that death of anything was just this finality, like blip. Everything was a blip. And I remember that moment and the wish that it was different. And I wonder if you experience that same kind of like, it's a real spiritual destruction, really. Oh, I, I don't think I did mm-hmm. ever. That doesn't sound familiar, mm-hmm. what you're describing, that I sort of always had that sort of believe in magic part of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, nice, nice, yeah. Hard to maintain when you're cleaning toilets and scrubbing pots and doing all the things we do mm-hmm. to survive, but uh, which I did loads mm-hmm. of and, you know, survival sex work and all the things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, somehow I spent a lot of time outdoors and, you know, in the dialogue with the natural world and also in dialogue with death. I mean, I think that's... Part of it, you know, now I'm old and I'm thinking about death from that point of view of imminence. But as a, you know, traumatized child, I was very in despair and sitting with the spirit of suicidality quite a bit. And that sort of like hovering around death and non-being actually Mm -hmm. feels like it's, it's now, like after, you know, all these decades become a place of resource like arms of non-being feel like a lover's arms a a familiar place and Mm. uh, a place of peace and so I just Mm. don't have that Mm. feeling of like separation between being Mm. and non-being like just like that they're so different it's more like non-being holds all of being and is held by it Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love in the book, there's a few different ways that you talk about not mattering. And I think that's really beautiful. And also the cellular death and different ways that cells can die. And the, I don't know, apoptosis, that's the word. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. 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 Or we're constantly experiencing at the cellular level this suicide cell suicide and billions of cells every day when cells get disconnected and not in a web a a relational matrix where they have some function and they can dissolve and like become a resource for the rest of the body Mm. and it's just like a like a way of death Mm. that uh is is within us it's part of the the magic the medicine of the of the cellular intelligence. Yeah, and also the other ways that a cell can die that actually harm the other cells around. Yes, and sometimes that's just the thing, right? Like Mm, this mm. inflammation, this protest, this, um, Mm. yeah, that's also part of cellular intelligence, like sometimes, but then, you know, it does implicate and then some harm cells around. and, And as we know, there can be, so much inflammation 
I mean, which we see in our society, <laughs> but also feel in our in our joints and everything that uh, is actually not too helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So using that example of the cells as ways that that we can be as humans in our living and dying, and our sickness and our just different ways of being. Yeah. Gosh. You know, I, I started that book. I was lying around in the meadow going like, oh, how can I learn to grow old and die in a world without a lot of human elders I want to learn from? And I heard a tree like say, well, come and talk to me. <laughs> so I just started to really think about like, oh, there, the elders are there like within us in our, in our molecules and they're all around us in this biosphere. Gotta listen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The one another favorite part of mine was you were talking about the earth and the sun and that relationship and how even ourselves, like the idea of yearning for some kind of perfection, some kind of fixing everything, some kind of no vulnerabilities. And in a way, if the earth made a perfect circle around the sun, it would either go so far away that there would be no relationship or go so closely that it would burn. Well, that's the thing it's always doing. It's like going mm. too f- almost too far yeah, yeah. and then turning around and then going almost too close. And that's why, <laughs> yeah, if it did a perfect circle around the sun, it, mm. it would, yeah, it just wouldn't work at all. <laughs> it's this going too far and then going too close and this constant, yeah, messiness that we all experience in our relationships. <laughs> yeah. But it's actually happening all the time, like with the planet and the sun. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't doing that, there'd be no relationship. So it's not like looking for a perfect relational star. It's yeah. kind of like, oh, I need reaching for, for closeness. And then, oh, get get yeah, away, get like, away. Get away, kind of like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, too far. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and to see that modeled and feel it in our planetary cycles, it's just like, doesn't that give you joy? I just think it's yeah, so, yeah. so wonderful. <laughs> I really loved that. And I loved that the earth attracted a lover, the moon. Yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then the moon and the water developed a really close, beautiful relationship. And for me, that speaks to the nature of relationship and really breaking the idea of monogamy and friendships not being able to be erotic or deep and really like we're in community with a lot of humans and a lot of non-humans and how do we tend to all of those relationships with care and love and with all of our messiness yeah i've I've found just like having that paradigm of erotic friendship and just like what can be this unique weave of us you know how, how good can it get then it just changes everything. Like, instead of having some idea of, oh, this is this type of relationship and this this type of relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, what what can we be and what can we keep on becoming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from reading your book and from the elements, thinking about the elements in a different way, like, it really opened up a lot of things in myself that I didn't realize. And... I had a mushroom journey with three other people and it was about being close, being together, skin 
and, and just closeness and intimacy. And I remember lying down. I had somebody lying at my feet and I think they had a hand on my leg. And I remember lying there feeling the connection of the earth through that person. And as I felt that, because of that touch, I could be something that I've never been. And I felt myself growing up and out. And there was a person lying next to me. And as I grew up and out, I realized I was becoming a matrix. But I didn't know what it was because I'd never been it. And I just felt it come out. And I realized that I had taken inside myself the elements. And I became the air. And I was the air, like holding the air for our space. Except I was the matrix. And my friend next to me, when I realized it was the air, she went, <gasps> and it sounded like she'd never <laughs> breathed, like we weren't talking. It sounded like she'd never breathed before. And she turned around and said, thank you, Rachel. I see what you're doing. Wow. And at that time, she'd been working through um, family issues of not being able to breathe, her own stuff of breath. And it was just like this thing that happened in that space and time. But partly from reading your book, actually, I don't know if I could have imagined. I mean, I was becoming something I couldn't imagine, but because I had been imagining a little differently, it, it, it changed something. And yeah. 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 Somehow, like the understandings that I developed through that book and through the ecstatic belonging stuff that I share, it's like um, given me this capacity to have a life of joy where I feel like I'm sort of in the dance of the molecules <laughs> of the biosphere and, and it feels so fun. <laughs> so I'm so happy to hear that yeah. was resonating with you as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was a part, you talk about fruit flies and their kind of growth into fruit flies and that was just really beautiful. <laughs> All the fun they get up to, eh? Yeah. I was kind of like, well, hang on. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? And they're having a lot of fun. How how can I learn from that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm thinking of other questions I have like I'm really curious about just experiences you've had in psychedelics that have informed you in writing and working and just just being you like the other piece I love about your work is it feels like as a whole a dual thing of the uniqueness of each person and that world inside them and then also relationship yeah well I guess you know, the, the psychedelics have given me this access to this way of, of understanding or, or living in this kind of sense of the, like the uniqueness of each one. I mean, it's also sacred intimacy and just like the, mm. you know, in, in your practices of somatic sex education, it's like how we meet each person, like so different, so unique. And yeah, and then in that meeting, we become different, like like each person becomes different, right? Like mm -hmm. we create a relational matrix for the emergence of our own uniqueness. I really feel that, you know, and that consistent experience of feeling embodied love and empowered choice and voice and like having 
erotic friendship in a caring community, you know, which I've been so blessed to be part of this field over time that it's, it's just given me this sense like this ongoing emergence of the, oh, you know, even more uniqueness and even more amazing humans that that come and each person brings to the field like their own gifts, their own path, and then they generate the, the beauty of the field. We're doing it together, right? I mean, that, like to to live in that way over the last years that I've been so blessed to be part of this community and this practice, you know, with clients and then with students and then as part of the institute, I mean, it's just given me this sense of like, oh, this is how we're meant to be, you know, like, and then add psychedelics to the mix, which kind of like expand my sense of like, oh, this is how it is, you know, like this is how the whole non-human world is actually already doing it. And <laughs> we're just joining the, joining the party and somehow. I, I don't know that uh, so many gifts of each medicine and each journey. But, you know, like you were saying about the MDMA, you know, like we hear about love and we want to love, but, you know, we have a, a neural learning uh, window for what social belonging is and it closes in adolescence and these experiences these molecular changes that the medicines can bring and the uh, body work can bring yeah, yeah they help us feel like oh like this is love this is trust like it doesn't we don't have to be stuck with the messages we learned in our teens which like for me were brutal bullying i mean that was yeah, yeah. it's a nightmare and you know like that's what i've lived with and trying to evolve my values even though i didn't have the resource before finding this community this practice these erotic practices and then the medicines to actually have those portals open it's like oh this but once they open, it's like, well, okay, know what I know what I want to feel, and I don't need medicine to go there. Mm-hmm. But I need sort of regular dialogue with medicine and in different mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really interesting you say that. From my life, I feel really resonant with what you just said. I feel like I needed the erotic friendships. I needed this kind of body work that somatic education offers. The kind of work of meeting an individual uniquely but also for myself and the medicines the medicines need to be embodied for me yeah yeah and having the courage to sit in medicine with a group of other people and actually notice what is happening in my genitals right Mm. yeah where am i feeling pleasure where is it coming from can i be with that yeah yeah and and to me bringing them together is so powerful and you know obviously it has many dangers Mm -hmm. i'm doing a webinar later this month for the uh, institute on some of those dangers and and also i don't know what i feel as possibilities i want us to keep exploring Mm. that um yeah because to me like just to to go into a room and sit like under a blindfold in a medicalized experience or you know even a traditional guiding experience and just take the drugs and then try and integrate them into your individual well-being that yes and sometimes that's just what's needed but if that's all there is it's kind of like a, a waste of good drugs because like having this community of practice this welcoming 
like the whole person, the uniqueness of each person, including the erotic unfoldings, the capacities that we've involved in, in our community for deep intimacy and also for accountability, for, for generative mm-hmm. conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, these feel like very necessary things to bring into the psychedelic experience. And, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, just feels like it can add so many dimensions of richness to the traditional or, or you know, what we've figured out, what's being promoted and marketed and everything in the sort of everyday press about how to do psychedelics. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much fear around sexuality yeah. in general. Wait, and so it goes underground and then comes up in like really harmful ways, which, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, I, I read the uh, MAPS Code of Ethics and I think, oh, these people are going to be doing harm. They don't understand the dynamics of empowering choice and voice and what consent actually is. And yeah, yeah. How much experience we get consenting to things we don't want. Yeah. And if a person takes a psychedelic and has an erotic experience and they're in a space where it's not welcomed, yeah. Yeah. and by welcomed I mean where it feels safe for that to be expressed, yeah. then yeah. you're just closing that door tighter. Oh, yeah, layering more shame. And- yeah. Or if you're not closing the door and leaving it open, how how are the people holding the space going to respond to your experience? Yeah. Are they going to be ashamed, frightened, abuse you? Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. And then, you know, as a queer person, a gender queer person, like so many assumptions around gender and that, you know, when you're deep in a medicine experience and then you're experiencing these kind of, you know, I, I've experienced sort of like <laughs> heart wounding and that kind of, yeah, yeah, of not having those safe enough spaces to just be fully mean. Mm-hmm. And when we go to these so vulnerable places with medicines and with the erotic, we want to be in places where people have capacity to hold us in our complexities and Mm. And then the truth of us and, and to welcome that, whatever it is. Mm. And uh, that just does not exist in, uh, in ordinary space. Yeah, yeah. And I think somatic sex education, all the premises around it, all the learnings have really important tools for this kind of space holding, like the will of consent, for example, right? Yes. But also learning to hold erotic space without psychedelics also is helpful in holding space with psychedelics the clarity the acceptance yeah and lots of experience doing it without psychedelics is probably a prerequisite to doing it with yeah absolutely (laughs) at least for me psychedelics can give me the temporary experience of knowing the secrets of the universe so that's a dangerous (laughs) thing (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of different ways it could be done and a lot of, I think, wisdom in the things that you already know around somatic sex education and working with intimacy. Yeah, that's one of my passions that I'm enjoying now retired to uh, meet with friends and peers. Perhaps you'll come uh, and, uh, yeah, just explore, like, how can we weave these things together? Mm-hmm. and uh, what uh, what will work and what won't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stay curious yeah. 
I have notes here that I've hardly used, but I had something. I was wondering, there's a part of your book, there's lots of parts. I'm just digging it up. Oh, here it is. I wonder, is it okay if I read this just a little bit? This is like a creation story. And after this, there comes my favorite part that I did want to talk to you about was the part of the ways which we can die and what actually our dying creates. Like, that's really beautiful. But here you've written, in the history of life on earth, there is much proof of the efficiency of dreams, new beings and ways of being involved, and we go on becoming. 600 million years ago, land-based life was just a dream of lichen on bare rock. Then plants emerged from soils made by generations of lichens living and dying. Fungi grew into mycorrhizal networks. Vascular plants got roots and soared. Brave, microscopic animals were also part of these first land-based communities. Bacteria, algae, and fungi together embrace the adventure of co-evolving new ways of living and loving together on the land. Then some of the free-living microscopic beings, so essential to the generative cycles of life and death, got frustrated with the limits to their freedom. They dreamed of a way of life that wasn't so focused on growth and maintenance. They wanted more erotic potential and more scope for lifelong learning. They imagined a way of living and dying together through time that could support even more differentiation and even more unity. They dreamed of life cycles and ecological niches that would give diverse parts of themselves sequential chances to flourish. They evolved a way to age into having tough exteriors and wings. It took many millennia to figure out how to integrate metamorphosis into aging and conscious dying. The actual embodiment of metamorphosis needs to manifest through the aging and dying of each individual animal through different developmental stages. Each organism and ecosystem needs resource and patience enough to host the whole unfolding. Given time to age, die, and be reborn, different parts of an animal's DNA could manifest very different possibilities and proteins at different life stages. And there's more, and then you talk about the co-conspiracy to create vertebrae, and oh my goodness. And when I read that, I felt like that as a human, I'm just a part of this whole creation of everything creating itself in this really beautiful way, and that perhaps the possible death of humanity even is, is going towards a different kind of change that is being like co-created as well. I know when I yeah learned more about like how death is an organizer of ongoing life in so mm-hmm. many levels, like it it really inspired me to just like hang out more in like practicing dying and learning a new culture, uh, inventing one and co-creating one that that really loves death and, and, you know, our experience of the arousal cycle and the orgasmic cascade and then the savoring the post-orgasmic bliss just feels like, you know, so key to that. How do we embody and learn and experience the, the petite more of orgasm enough times that the great death of the biosphere that we seem to be living in can actually feel generative of some new thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, I really, really appreciate the seeing vulnerability and frailty as a part of everything. And the things that I've thought I've been exposed to in society as as unwanted, as actual real things that most of us, if we're lucky, have the privilege of, of experiencing, like frailty, dying, vulnerability, experiencing our bodies change as we grow, becoming an elder and letting go of things. You wrote a little about your eyes and that was a, another really extraordinarily beautiful piece of writing too. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for connecting to that book. I know it's, yeah, it's not an easy book and uh, I just really appreciate it. So the kindred spirit in you. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Catherine, for, for this conversation. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Rachel. What a really joyful conversation. I, I really have enjoyed it and, and so enjoy being connected to you and your work in the world and all the beauty and meaning and magic that you create. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You can find my services for individuals both online and in person at my website in the show notes. And if you want to support my podcast, you can click on buy me a coffee. That link is also in the show notes. And thank you so much for listening to the fourth episode of Awakening the Body with your host, Rachel Charlie.